I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. 大家好,我是风海宁,你正在收听Rebel Radio. Hi, this is Helen Fong from Nova Heart, and you are listening to Rebel Radio. <laughs> All right, fuck you, Josh. I kind of mean it. <laughs> what's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. Would you say Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine, and every week I talk to the Rebels who are shaping youth culture around the globe. We find out how they do it, why they do it, and what you can do to get a little piece of the pie for yourself. My guest this week uh, is the last of our Live in China. Uh, I was in China at the end of last year and caught up with some of the people that are moving and shaking that scene, and... um, this one is a good one. I, I finish off with Helen Fung. She's called the Queen of Beijing Rock. She's called the Blondie of China. She's got a dope uh, indie punk pop sound by the name of Nova Heart, as well as with a number of other bands she's been involved with over the years. She's also, in addition to making her own music, she's also a manager. She runs a label. She's a show promoter. She's got a lot going on. And she's got some great stories to tell us about her journey that's taken her between L.A. and Beijing. Uh, she was almost an on-air personality on MTV China. And uh, she's got a real kind of punk rock, almost anarchist perspective. Um, and she, she kind of walks us through some of that. And she opens up a little bit about her battles with depression and brushes with suicide and some real personal stuff. So it gets deep. Some of it gets a little hard to hear, just to warn you about midway through. We, we met in a cafe in, uh, in the Gulo area of Beijing, and it, it got a little loud, so we went outside in the 20-degree uh, weather, and it was a little noisy out there, too. So hopefully you can hear it all, um, and let's get into it right after our EDM.com track of the week.
Yo, that was our track of the week from EDM.com. That was Dream Party with Trust Me. If you like that one, get over to EDM.com and uh, make sure you check out the new music every week from EDM.com on Rebel Radio. And now let's get down with Helen Funk. Talk to you and I know it kind of came out of nowhere. I'm not surprised. Nathaniel generally throws me like, be like, Helen, you can speak English and stuff. Why don't you say some stuff? <laughs> nice. I mean, honestly, oh, I'm like yeah. the least cool I can be right now. I'm in total grammar gear. I think you're fine. Yeah, well, it's winter. <laughs> and now I run a company of five people that need to feed them. But you probably know this. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what that's like. Yeah. It takes the fun out sometimes. And sometimes not. I kind of like it a little better. I like the feeling that at one point or another you become an elder. And um, you yeah. stop worrying about like, you know, like your kind of social position in the world. And you start worrying about people like that you, that, that you are working for you. Or when did you about. realize that you were an elder? When I got old. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually. I think when I started going to parties and going, oh, I'm getting tired. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think... When like I'm looking at my clock and it's eleven o'clock and I'd be like, I would really like to go home right now and take a bath. Like what's the best part about getting older? Wow, that's like kind of an interesting question. Getting older, the, the best part is like the hormones start to die down a bit. So you're <laughs> you're actually not as easily offended by whatever snide little girl is currently saying that you don't have good fashion taste. That's hilarious. Um, no, but in the weird thing about it is is also you, you kinda of see the younger generations and you you know their trajectory a little bit. It's like you have like a little crystal ball into the future. Yeah. And, um, sure. you know, you've been there, you've done that. And then yeah. maybe a part of it is wrong. That's why your grandparents always tell you something that eventually is just not true. Right. Um, but at the same time, you do have a little bit of a crystal ball into yeah. like, yeah, you sure. know, their emotional kind of, they're going to get to that point and, you know, when they're 30, when they're 35 or when they're, I guess, 40, which is what, you know, I'm tipping 40 right now. And it's kind of fun to watch it. Also, it calms you the F down. Mm. Um, I think one of the things about people who choose a music industry is that they have, they, I don't know, they all have like, you know, some sort of hyperactive disease as a kid or something, or they have something about them. Some well, sort of like... <laughs> I, I always describe it because, you know, I've worked in, I work with a lot of corporate folks and mm -hmm. work with a lot of, you know, in, in music folks and entertainment and... And I always say the difference is, like in music, people are passionate. They may or may not be competent. Yeah, <laughs> you may or may not is kind of broad. Right? Yeah. I, I would mean, say they, it's like an eighty to twenty percent ratio. Exactly. But they're really passionate about what they're doing. Whereas in corporate, like yeah. people, there's a lot of incompetent people too. But I think generally, people are pretty competent right. in corporate. Uh -huh. They're just not passionate. They don't. Most of them don't give a shit. Right? They just want to pass the time and that's, that's true. get a promotion yeah. or whatever. But, I mean, there's artists in the corporate world, yeah, right? and there are. there are people that are passionate and curious and, and all of that, and those are the people that, that we love to deal with. And I think there's a certain kind of rule-breaking that needs to happen in the world yeah. um, that, that I feel like in music right now, the problem is that the willingness to rule-break is going away. So I want, I want to talk about music a little bit, yeah. since that's your business and your life. Mm -hmm. um, what was the first record you ever bought? <laughs> this is going to make me so seem so uncool. The question's U2. getting easier. U2. Okay. <laughs> it was U2. It was um, 
Which one? It was uh, the one before Joshua Tree. A war. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't on the cover. It was the kid with the kid with the kid with the thing. But in the back, there was a picture of him with a mullet. Yeah. And uh, I looked at it a lot. That was a great record. One of my favorite records. honestly say that you like YouTube. That's okay because I yeah. know they're super uncool to say that you like YouTube these days. No, back then were, they were they were groundbreaking and amazing and I went to Joshua Tree concert in uh, at Shoreline Amphitheater. It was really it was my first it wasn't my first concert but it was like yeah. my first high school concert with like my buddies. Wow okay. yeah, it was incredible. Oakland Coliseum. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I came from a traditional Chinese family, uh -huh. so nobody, like, the only money that my mom would ever cough up money for, like, concerts was, like, musicals. Okay. So, like, basically, like, I grew up on watching musicals and listening to you, too. It was yeah. very, it was very weird kind of in between. Interesting. So, and like, then And then, so, I know we talked privately a little bit about some career stuff, and, mm -hmm. uh, like, me, had a lot of twists and turns, which is always cool, I think. Yeah. But, but when did music become a career for you? When did it become a career? Um, I started doing music when I was like three. And not professionally. Not professionally. So my parents, my, my mom and my dad, when they were going to, um, during the Cultural Revolution, they got sent to Mongolia. In Mongolia, everyone just oh. sings. It's the only thing they had to do because there was really not that much to do. You can either that or like wrestle a, you know, a, a stallion and take his balls off, which is... <laughs> much more hazardous than singing right? really? so yeah trust me he did not yeah. want his balls to be gone so you wouldn't realize that <laughs> no you think <laughs> so um but yeah it was a it was a basically like my 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 parents they grew up together but they fell in love with mongolia and they yeah. there was like a lot of singing around the campfire kind of thing and because it's pretty much the only thing you could have to do during sure. the culture revolution um and and my mom before she had me i mean they had kind of a crazy relationship because my mom was kind of like you know like supposed to be married with someone else i didn't even really know that well i guess wow. like in china style but is my that, dad was her childhood friend and he was older than china is, is arranged marriages is that wasn't really arranged um by then because like both my grandparents were communists by then it was okay. just kind of like a funny thing like and also because my grandparents were jailed during the cultural revolution and one of them died wow. so um at the time of my grandfather being jailed because he realized he probably wasn't going to get out but he did get out thankfully yeah. um, my, my, my dad's father wasn't so lucky he died after three days um, but my mother's father managed to survive barely um, and so he basically entrusted his daughter to someone mm. who he thought he could rely on sure um, and so there was a, this understanding that eventually they were going to be together, but she was like 14, 15 at the time, so it wasn't really much of a decision that she made. It was more like, this person is supposed to take care of you for the rest of your life if, mm -hmm. if something happens to me. Um, lucky for our family, he didn't die during the Cultural Revolution. He was jailed for, I think, eight years, maybe nine years, wow. um, in, a, in, a, in a work camp, mm -hmm. and he managed to survive. 
Um, but um, my mother managed to get out of that and fall in love with my dad, who was her who was her best friend, childhood best friend's older brother. No way. Yeah. So like, it was like a whole like romantic oh, like you know like story, yeah. yeah he was he was my dad back in the day when he had hair and stuff uh, like that was really hot. <laughs> so like he was just like riding around breaking stallions, taking their balls off, nice. and my mom was like, "That's the man for me." Right? <laughs> um, of so, course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, and um. So, I mean, they used to sing to each other a lot. So before I was even born, my parents thought, like, when I have a kid, that kid's going to be into music. Yeah. Um, it's not quite the traditional Chinese path, but uh -huh. pretty much from age two or three, they kind of put me in music classes because, nice. like, this was, like, they thought was my destiny. Yeah. Um, and so now that I'm doing music for a living, more or less, you know, I'm yeah. starting to move from the front to the back, sure. which I quite enjoy, actually, because... Yeah. Um, I like I like seeing young people succeed and not don't like going on tour, so it's perfect, right? Yeah. Um, but um, so like now at this point, um, I can look back and say that you know in a way my parents were very supportive, especially mm -hmm. for Chinese parents. They didn't support me in the way that you know like they had like some sort of weird Hollywood background, give me an industry or whatever. They just supported me by like frankly always kind of in a very underhanded and sneaky way okay. pushing me in that direction that's cool while they maintain the dragon mom line of you should go to business school business uh like dental school yeah. like you know medical school or be a lawyer right sure. <laughs> like with all that on the side which yeah. they kind of made me get a business degree from usc it didn't really made me they encouraged me to get um um uh, business degree from USC they, okay. they also kind of made sure that music was in my life the entire time yeah. even if most of it was musical theater but it was still, yeah, still. I love it I mean I love musical yeah. theater I still I, I'm, I, I love gay men in musical theater and that's next to my mom <laughs> like you know right. like, <laughs> I feel most comfortable when we are building our show tunes in that's a bar hilarious. But um, I guess the first memory of being on stage that I can remember was a piano recital at age four and a half. Okay. And I remember like feeling really cool yeah. <laughs> like afterwards because I could play shit. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing I really liked was I was in communist like kind of theater where they kind of dressed the like they put way too much makeup on the children <laughs> and then they dressed you up and then you had to like sing some We Love Miles of Dome songs or something and the then. Best. Um, it was actually kind of like yeah it was retarded but it was like kind of at the same time when you're young it's cool because yeah. you get to dress up and yeah, stuff you get lots of positive yeah. feedback I'm sure yeah I mean positive feedback from adults you know right. who needs that really you're Chinese right so like <laughs> um, but but the thing is like the thing that I really like is I had my first piano rehearsal recital and I started improvising halfway through because I was like really crap at memorizing stuff and I still am. Yeah. Um, so like sometimes I'll forget my own lyrics and just start improvising them. Nice. Um, little note, like 
like sometimes I have audience members singing along at one point they have like this look of confusion <laughs> in their face of like this is not working for me right now why are your lips not giving me what they're supposed to do um, but uh, just it's I just started improvising probably about I don't know like halfway through the sonata or something and and then um, I, I, I stopped and nobody realized that I was improvising and clapped and like made a big deal that I was going to be like a piano genius or whatever right. um, because I was playing stuff when I was four and a half or five years old. That didn't happen. Oh, little baby's got a love on the way. She's got a love on the way. Oh, oh. She's got a Well, so, I was supposed to be a VJ. Okay. I was supposed, to, I was hired to be a VJ. And then I came and then the same, after I got hired, they instituted a law called the VJ, um, called, it was called the, 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 the TV show host license. Okay. You had to get a license to be a TV show host. Sure. And it means that you had to pass all these language exams and your pronunciation had to be like the perfect yeah. Chinese. What was strange about this is that most of like the Chinese, like MCs and uh, TV show hosts, could not pass this exam. It right. was so difficult. And here I am, returning from the states, right? And I'm my Chinese is like not. I'm 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 supposed to be hosting an English language show, right? right. And I'm just like showing up, and they're all like, "No, you're not going to get the license because first off, you can't read, yeah. <laughs> and it needs a certain level of literacy." Yeah. Um, and secondly, like, you know, your pronunciation is definitely not going to pass the mustard. So uh, they transferred me to becoming a producer, associate okay. producer, and then a uh, reporter. Yeah. Or, um, and what it meant was I was just doing a lot of red carpet interviews, a mm -hmm. lot of interviews, and, um, and a lot of, because um, that, that means I wasn't hosting technically. I was a reporter. So you still weren't singing, like, <clears throat> professionally no. singing at that time? I was busy being a 22-year-old, 23-year-old lost like person who showed up in China, quit my job in LA, expecting yeah. something and not getting it. And then I think the first job I had, I was you know, suddenly in the makeup chair, somebody was taping my breasts into a ball gown. And uh, yeah, and um, I, was, <laughs> I was like, what the F is happening to me? Like, yeah. you know, and uh, thrown on the red carpet where I'm supposed to interview like, you know, John Z, right? Yeah. Like, and, um, and I'm trying to interview her in Chinese and my Chinese at the time wasn't very good. It's gotten a heck of a lot better since then. Um, and, um, you know, like it's raining and then, uh, like the designer for Fergama needs me to do be a translator and I'm translating and the press boos me cause my translation is so bad. Oh, okay. And I remember like, you know, like hiding in the bathroom stall in like, you know, this $3,000 dress, like crying my eyes out. It was my first day at work at MTV. Mm. And then um, coming out and it's like, I'm gonna do this and going out there and realizing that this isn't what I wanted for my life. Like pretty much the first day I worked there. Wow. Um, and I did a lot of self-awareness for 22. No, it's, a, well, 22 year olds always have a lot of self-awareness. Yeah, you know right? what I mean? They always yeah, think they know I guess so. <laughs> and they don't. Right. Sure. So I ended up working there another six months and then I quit. And 
I remember like just not knowing what I was going to do with my life. Um, and I couldn't go back to LA because I made a big deal of quitting the agency right. and liking, I'm going to be MTV, you know, like normal BS that you do when you're, fuck you, fuck you guys, I'm so going to be famous, fuck you. And then, um, <clears throat> like, you know, just, hi again, hey, hey again, like, yeah, I didn't really want to go back to my job, like, you know, basically pushing the mail around at the firm and, you know, getting like, you know, like, Basically, it was definitely, it, I, I couldn't go back to Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, I knew that I need to do, accomplish something before I got there to at least have a little bit of takeaway from this. Um, so I was. What, what was the first break? My first break? <laughs> Nothing. I was just hanging out at parties a lot. Yeah. So I was just going to a lot of gay parties because that's where I felt comfortable, like okay. with gay men. Um, it's pretty much the only place in the world that I feel comfortable sometimes. Um, okay. Except with my boyfriend. Um, that's kind of sometimes a little bit wondering about his anyway um so like um but but like i was going to a lot of electronic parties here in beijing yeah uh with my friends with um said some ex-colleagues from mtv like kind of other vjs and gay guys an acapella band yeah (laughs) like a a men's acapella band oh wow yeah it was pretty gay anyway so um what was the sound that was happening at that time um i didn't know because working at mtv you only got pop music yeah so, but uh, like when you start going to these parties, like what? Oh, there was it was it was local DJs playing house and techno. Okay. Um, and at the time, I think it was like about early two thousand. It was mostly like house. Mm-hmm. I think these parties were primarily house music. Um, there was a little bit of like kind of electro music. Like I, I yeah. could occasionally hear that Lady Tron track uh-huh. getting sl- slipped in. house and um, it was a there was a a couple of promotional outfits one of them was called yen and they had these huge parties Um, one of them was called the fetish party and it was fantastic it was like a it was like definitely like a mixed party with a lot of different people there and that was my that was kind of my crowd my crew Um, I hung out with them here in in Beijing Um, I used to hang out with the hip-hop crew here because my boyfriend at the time at that time was like part of the hip-hop crew in China Mm -hmm. but that kind of didn't really you know you know, it wasn't it wasn't a good relationship, so it kind of stopped. Yeah. Um, and um, so I was just you know going out a lot because yeah. I, I didn't have anything to do. Um, I was living at my parents' place. You know, like the ultimate humiliation for somebody who just graduated from college two years ago. Sure. Um, to like leave the parents' house with this fan yeah, of glory yeah. and then to come back in. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And then I got this, uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back to school. My language is an issue. They used that against me at MTV. Or yeah. It was something that, they, even if they didn't use against me, it was definitely not, not something that, it was, it was definitely one of my, my, my weakest points. Right. So if I'm going to, go to go back to LA, at least I got to go back with that. So I went to um, this class at university, at Beida University, which is uh, Peking University, mm-hmm. for language. And before to even be able to test into it, I then kind of studied my, my booty off while I was going out. <laughs> and then um, in between going out. And then um, at one point, I, I got into a, a middle level, like kind of mid-level, high-level language class uh, for like, about, it was supposed to be two semesters, I only did one, mm-hmm. and not even the full semester at Peking University and then 
when I first got in, I, I realized that I was going to class like maybe, like you, I had the life of a university student, right? So I was back to the life of a university student and um, I had a lot of free time. So um, I got um, one of my friends who was uh, um, like kind of, uh, let's say he was, because uh, I mean, he's, he's now kind of, kind of big, but I'm not gonna say who he is. Uh, he, he's, he was gay and from that party scene and friends with him. And he asked me if I wanted a job at this radio station, being a DJ for a radio show. And I was like, oh, that's kind of sweet. So I met the radio station head. He liked me, probably because I talk a lot. <laughs> and, uh, it's good for radio. Yeah, it's good for radio. Yeah. <laughs> you need people who are afraid of silence. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm definitely afraid of silence. Okay. So um, I... Uh, I got my own radio show, and um, my first radio show in China, I called it Sunset Boulevard. Okay. That was my old residency, yeah. right on Echo Park. That's cool. Um, and uh, then from there on, I had like this radio show, I had this, uh, my, my education, and I was like, you know what, to make this fully complete and to really tell my ex-boyfriend, F you, I'm going to start a band, right? <laughs> so the thing is, uh, my ex introduced me to the punk scene in China early 2000 and yeah. it was like kind of the low the, the lowest point of Chinese indie music and rock music um, but it was it was for me incredibly cool to come out of MTV and go to a whorehouse to see a punk show was like the coolest shit ever like show up at this venue sounds pretty cool yeah it was pretty cool yeah. and the music was like not amazing right. but it was just pretty sure. damn cool and um, to show up at this venue and you take a ride and you know like some not the juiciest hookers in town and then left are like where you are know, the juiciest hookers I don't know but thank you for asking <laughs> now we know and by the way you're married right yeah. cheers yeah I just um, like he's a lovely city, man you know. he's totally, he knows the city yeah, it's right. really, I'm just interested in geography yeah that's all, right? Um, hold on. I'll, after the show, I'll give you some addresses. <laughs> yeah, like, we'll, we'll get up. But, um, but, you know, like, to the right were, like, the girls, and to yeah. the left was the stage. That's crazy. And, you know, the girls, and, this, and there was no audience, right? The other yeah. audience was the band. So yeah. they used to have, like, 13 shows in the night. They just watch each other. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And you draw straws to see who plays first. Yeah. And everybody wants to play first because you get a bigger audience. Right. You know this somehow. No, it's just, like, I, I get it. It's a shitty world, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, don't, don't, don't play music, guys. It sucks. Um, actually, it doesn't. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying that keep the competition out. So you started so, a band. Yeah. Well, eventually, I was a like, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. like after Close that gone? experience, I wanted to get back into that scene, but I was like, kind of cut it with my ex, and I rebuilt my life somewhere else. And um, but I was like, kind of really wanted to get back into that scene somehow, and I was like, you know, what'd be cool is to start a band, and also because I've been doing music since age four. Yeah. So it would be nice. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of what I did. I just I. And was I, there a, did, did that break? Like, did you? Yeah, we got signed to Warner. Yeah. Briefly. Nice. Which you know, not. Um, like people in the music industry know that a young band getting signed to a major is not necessarily a good idea. Feels good though, right? If for like a minute. Yeah, like yeah. in the beginning. <laughs> like in the beginning, we're like, we're gonna be so big, and then that didn't work out. Yeah. Um, but but I had some music industry experience. I actually studied music industry at university. At one point, I, would, I remember like sitting here in my in the Warner offices and with a, with the PowerPoint presentation, right? Like, and um, the head of Warner was in front of me. It was like I have never received a PowerPoint presentation from an artist in my life. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, okay, so this is our publicity schedule, <laughs> and this is what I think should happen. Right. Like, you know, like these are our target markets, and this is our target audience. And and the the guy at Warner, he had his like jaws open. He was like, 
what the f is happening here and he's like and and i think the and then he did they actually did re do a release for us which uh -huh. is um which is pretty proper um because at the time there was a bunch of bands signed i think we were the only ones who got a release uh primarily because i was pounding the stones and just basically coming to them with powerpoint presentations which was yeah. a bit of a shocker for them yeah. And I also brought them in sponsorship and stuff like that because right. there was a lot of links that I had from the radio station and from yeah. friends, uh, and old friends at MTV and from that circle yeah. that was able to kind of push things ahead. But as I was moving forward, I started thinking to myself, like, well, why am I giving them the slow-ass sure. system? Right. Um, yeah, and, you're doing all the work. And also, most importantly, there was... I could kind of understand it from their perspective. Uh, piracy had killed the mu uh, Chinese music industry. Yeah. Um, like gold standard was like a couple of thousand CDs. Like what were they gonna do with me? Like right, right. they didn't release anybody not because they didn't want to release anybody. Yeah. It was because they were broke. No, yeah. I mean I broke my arm in the Warner offices before when I was before I even signed them. I was working occasional PR jobs for them, mm. and just. They couldn't replace their office furniture. They had these broke-ass chairs. And one day I was reaching for a fax to try and get, you know, faxing. It was back in the day when you still faxed invitations to Those people. fax machines were dangerous, a lot of broken arms. I know. I was reaching for a fax and, you know, like a broken arm. Because their furniture was broke, busted. Like, all their chairs were busted. Do you know a little bit of the history of Chinese music industry? Should I even go over that shit, or is that just boring? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's boring. I'm more interested in you, though. I think you have, you have a fascinating story. Of, of alcoholism and, uh, and Chinese punk rock. That's what it takes. It's pretty much always. So, what, so, mm -hmm. so that's like more twists and turns. <clears throat> mm -hmm. when, when did you feel, or like, is there a moment when you started to feel successful? Never. Um, I have like a very Chinese kind of mentality about stuff is that, like for me, the bigger target is much bigger. Um, and What's the target? You know, I don't know, peace for the world, I mean, humanity, great. I don't really believe in personal success as a construct. Does okay. that sound strange? I believe it's that... It's kind of punk rock. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think there is no such thing as personal success. I think like whenever you reach any level of what you want, there's going to be just more like needs and wants that come up. And yeah. so like if that's all you're chasing, then it's like one of those, like it's as abstract a goal as having an abstract goal, right? So, so if you're not, I, I get it. Um, if success is not the goal, what's the goal? Um, this is where we get into like I'm 39 and I'm starting to have like home entire my like you know 15 years of existential crisis is finally coming to like <laughs> and then uh, I think I think finally like there is I think in the world what 
the goal is is not necessarily in this is why I like economics I, I, I love economics more than I think I love rock and roll um, is is I feel like that in that we are not humans that we are part of a hive and yeah. that every single person has their role within that hive there are the explorers there are the, the challengers there are the people who are supposed to break up the system so the system can renew itself and make itself better there are people who are supposed to come into the system and analyze the system yeah. and figure out how it works and explain it to everyone else um, there are people who want to dominate certain areas and they create their own little bubbles within the system of power. Sure. And then there are narcissists, there are uh, humanitarians, there are different things. And every single person is supposed to play a very specific role in that. Um, and that role is not something that we necessarily understand until we're much older. Right. And maybe we will never understand, maybe that role even changes. Um, so if you view yourself as part of a hive, and as one player in that hive, personal success becomes something that's so abstract and sure. inconsequential. It's just more like it's more so, like have you finished your task? Have you done? So is there a is there a mission? Yeah, I mean ultimately, ultimately, I think I have the driving mission is is within me. You know, like there's like um, I think most people actually know what their mission is without having to vocalize it. Okay. And I think that mission is is part of their identity. Um, so for me to explain my mission in a way is to betray my mission. <laughs> Does that make sense? If you're enjoying this one, go back in our Rebel Radio archives. The last two weeks are other episodes recorded live in Beijing. I had Nathaniel Davis from Splitworks. They're a great promotion outfit out there doing uh, festivals, shows, all kind of music events, cool stuff. And I also talked to Miao Wong, who's the head of uh, Acupuncture Records now, the ARP Creative, kind of running the techno scene in Beijing. So if you want to really get a feel for what Beijing's about at this moment, go back and check those out uh, after you finish up here with Helen Funk. Because I've seen uh, I've seen interviews you talk about kind of no compromise. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean to you? Like um, you know what you need to do, right? And when you go against yourself, you already know it. Like you already kind of feel so it. So what have you since you've mm -hmm. learned that or yeah. or uh, accepted that? Mm -hmm. What have you walked away from? <sighs> So many things. Give me an um, relationships, uh, money, certain level of fame, whatever. I mean, like, but but that's so, not relevant. I think it's it's to, to to use that as some sort of like. I, I think the problem I had last few years is honoring people because of what they will they're willing to sacrifice, yeah. as opposed to just saying that people. Um, people's sacrifice is not that big a sacrifice. Like I have not sacrificed Ooh. any more than anyone else. Um, it was. I'm, in fact, I'm being incredibly selfish. I'm just following my own instincts about what I need to do. Um, it's hard in a society that kind of pushes you not to follow your instincts, but it's actually also easy because I, I have to suffer less. Um, okay. It, it sounds strange, but like, you know, like mental suffering is, it, there's a big reason why the number one cause of suicide for people, I mean, the so number one cause of death for people under 25 is suicide. Yes. Uh, mental suffering is one of the deepest sufferings that we can experience as humans, especially now 
these days that, um, you know, where physical suffering has been eliminated in much of the developed world, um, except for maybe when you're old and you have cancer. Well, okay, that's physical suffering. But as a, as a, as a young person, you're not dealing with, you know, war, you're not dealing with starvation, you're not dealing with those things. Yeah, exactly. And, and ironically, when you deal with those things, like people are actually the same on happiness matter, like on the, on the ratio. So what are we dealing with? It's our mental suffering. And it's that, it's that giant existential crisis that we're all living under. So when you um, are suffering <laughs> mentally, mm-hmm. which we all do yeah. from time to time, how do you heal? What's your... I play video games and drink. Nice. <laughs> what game? Actually, no. I try and find what something to do play? for myself. I try to find some sort of context and meaning. Okay. Um, I think there's not everybody in mm-hmm. life needs to find meaning some people just automatically have it and i think it's a very it's 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 fine you know like it doesn't matter if their meaning is just being wealthier than the next guy Mm -hmm. or their families or whatever um some people have already found their sense of meaning i think there's also a small group of that hive that particular explorer generation or explorer sect or whatever yeah it's probably the wrong word for it explorer group um that is constantly searching for meaning Yes. And so they they have a tendency to read a little bit more mm-hmm. than the next guy. They have a tendency to be depressed a little bit more than the next guy. Yeah. And um, like, you know, we were talking about Linkin Park a little bit earlier. And um, I can totally understand, you know, like one of my good friends just passed away a few years ago from suicide. And yeah. that was actually this year from yeah. suicide. And that was very much a big water on the face for me because I think the problem with our society and the problem the way that we address our roles in society is that we don't actually have a lot of roles for people Um, in fact the number of roles that we have for people I think it's just getting more and more limited as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the reasons why we have to categorize people so harshly. That's why we bully. Right. That's why we 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 choose to like look at things in such a narrow minded way. It's because the number of roles that are available for people are just not very much. Yeah. And so being like somebody <clears throat> who is of that particular group, we're a minority, you know, of mm-hmm. the big group of maybe even a smaller minority or maybe we're a big minority but we're just so singular in our own ideal of ourselves or we try and be in our own little corner so much that we don't really connect with each other enough Mm. to build a society Um, that particular group the biggest mental anguish they can distinguish can have is to not know who they are what they want or what brings them joy and since nothing in current society can give us those definitions we are just living in our own little chambers of torture looking for definition my friends Hmm. accomplishing a task i'm task oriented okay uh finishing a ppt sometimes (laughs) yeah it hurts presenting um talking performing finishing an album what do you how do you um how do you what tools do you use to stay organized i don't Okay. Uh, so you can nice. ask uh, people, yeah. other people is my number one tool. Um, That's a good one. Uh, actually, yeah, in a, in a way, like um, the one, the, the biggest tool um, in, in my head, there is a giant map. Yeah. And there's little kind of pins on those maps. 
and they string together information and occasionally bits of information get lost. Uh, lucky for me, there is a lot of people in my office and a lot of people around me that also have other giant maps in their heads or mm -hmm. on their computers or in their mm -hmm. cell phones or whatever. Um, and, um, and we've been working together long enough for them to know my flaws and for me to know their strengths. And that's, that's one of the best things about being in a group. So you, <laughs> you have um, your performer, <clears throat> manager, promoter. Yeah. Sort of. Um, Lot, lot of you've been a, uh, you know, on-screen personality. Mm -hmm. um, why not just do one thing? Because I wouldn't be very good. Okay. <laughs> I think I wouldn't be very good if I was singular. Mm. Um, I think for me, um, like I said, I have a giant map in my head, and that's yeah. how I view the world. And um, and I have a very distinct personality. If if I don't like it, I, I want to change it. If I don't like it, I want to rebuild it as the way I want to see it. So in all the different areas, um, they came out of need, not because of, you know, want. Yeah. Um, I just realized that I, I, I needed things to work in this way. And if I didn't initialize that myself, then it wasn't going to work the way that I wanted to work. Um, and funny enough, there were also people that felt the same and we were able to build a collective. Um, I think the the one thing that was probably, if I had to say my greatest talent, it would be like getting other people to basically join me in the madness. You know, nice. um, that would be my that's, my greatest that's an talent. talent. Everything else, I think I'm just, you know, I'm not mediocre, but I'm definitely not the best. And if I was to be singular, I would be not that great. You know. So when you think about that, and you you know, I know you have partners and and people that work for you um how do you like what makes someone a good partner or a good fit for you and how do you um how do you determine that if that person listens and if that person talks back to me um i think like people who have opinions are amazing but people who have opinions without listening are assholes right so that's just very <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's just very straight. Yeah. So if the person listens and responds and is willing to challenge me on my opinions, yeah. but gives me a good reason for that because they have sources of information or they learn something or, or um, that, that's such an invaluable resource to me. Um, it's directional, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, I think we're okay. Um, what um, about, uh, I saw a quote you said something about artists need to focus on building their fan bases yes absolutely uh what does it take to do that now um actually it takes a certain amount of flexibility um i know a lot of people are saying oh yeah you need to have a social media presence or etc um i don't have a very good instagram account if you ever check it out it's really pathetic <laughs> uh i've been encouraged by my friends and family recently to rebuild it but i just really can't get into it um and um, as for my Facebook, I, I generally, on my personal Facebook, I just write political commentary and send up stuff about our events and friends, you know, whatever friend baby is. Well, actually, recently I've been sending baby pictures because they're getting ridiculous. <laughs> um, but like, um, so 
there is no formula by which people can operate by. I think what happens is that you find people, your fan base are people who can best relate to you. And a lot of times they're the people who are most like you. Sure. So like if you're a bro, then you're probably going to gather bros. If you're not a bro, you're probably not going to gather bros. If you're somebody who just really loves performing, then you're going to find people who really like going to shows. Right. And um, that's that, that means that there's a certain kind of self-realization of who you want to yeah. be connected to. Um, the problem is that the system is pushing you in one direction and a lot of artists actually follow that formula to their graves um, because they don't build a fan base because what they're doing is they just go through the they're walking through the steps that you're supposed to walk through in order to be successful yeah. and then you can't understand why it doesn't work for you it's because it's disingenuine it's disingenuine for you as an artist for your music for the people who are maybe tuning into you they're not used to that form of communication yeah. or they're not you know tuning into that form of communication so like the, when you build something that isn't and I've changed this a couple of times you know I've actually said this and this and this over time as I learned but in yeah, the last course. few years I've kind of like as I'm starting to manage artists yeah. um, I've, I've started to realize that when I impose like what has worked for me on them a lot of times I get rebellion Doesn't hatred work. from the artists and yeah. I don't necessarily get success from the fans yeah. so I really have to as a manager kind of step back and <clears> let <throat> the artists tell me what works for them but first they have to be in the mindset to look at themselves and I think that's one of the hardest things that people have is to like have a certain level of, of self-reflection you know the hardest answer the hardest thing for anyone to really answer without a certain amount of lies and delusion is what do you want um, that that is the one question as a manager or as an A&R head I ask the most and it's the one question that people have the hardest time answering without trying mm. to figure out what I want Sure. They're just yeah, more like, I want what you want. No, no, yeah. no, no. What do you want? Yeah. And um, no, it, it's funny because because yeah. you know, in my work with brands, I tell them the same thing. Yeah. Right. It's like your job as a marketer is to just find the people that like what you do. Right. What you make. Right. And don't worry about everybody else. And in fact. Tune out everybody else because they're going to lead you in the wrong direction. Right. To having do shit that doesn't matter and just waste time and money. I think like a lot of brands like Vans when they first started out, they really understood yeah. their identity because they didn't really care about anyone else. Yeah. Um, and as they got bigger and bigger, they started to waver, but then they still had a central core that was quite strong. Yeah. Um, what, what brands in in China do do the best job supporting music and, and culture? You know what? That keeps on changing. Yeah. Um, because here's what happens with brands, right? Um, brands are like a fantastic case of the existential crisis turned <laughs> into like a financial crisis, right? Yeah. So. Um, That's a great way to describe it. <laughs> uh, I think intrinsically, like capitalism and brands and and whatever they're selling it's a good it's a, it's a, it's a form of commerce yeah so you're selling a soda you're selling energy drink you're selling a shoe you're selling a clothing brand um maybe you're selling like you know i don't know mentos or something but um but um whatever you're selling the fresh maker the fresh maker i know it's so awesome Mentos, the fresh maker. 80s. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I totally see like campaign. George Michael right now. Great oh, teeth. So good. Right. 
Um, even even though he wasn't part of the campaign, I feel like Wham was the entire inspiration <laughs> of the campaign. But <laughs> but anyway, the, um, but like um, but but what happens is like you you take something that doesn't have identity and yeah. try and infuse it with identity. Yeah. And at one point, um, that infusion of identity becomes almost delusional. Right, where it almost has a life of its own. It always becomes like the identity. Sure. But at one point, like somebody, a CEO or a CFO or a, or COO or something, something starting with a C, mm -hmm. is going to look at the numbers and realize that it's still a product and right. take it out of its self-delusion. Yeah. And say, you have no identity. You're a pair of shoes. Yeah. You're a soda drink. Sure. You're an energy drink. And at that point, um, the identity goes away. <laughs> so when... When, when we talk about brands, when we talk about anything that's like a product that starts to support the arts in any way, um, it's not fair to talk about it as being like a constant animal. You have to talk about it at the moment of its most, its, its most human moment. Well, yeah, because it's the people, it's the humans at that company, right? Right, exactly. That make those decisions, and we've seen that over and over when the guy or the people that were really in support of art and culture move on to different jobs, right? Right, because... The brand takes a completely different shape. It's a vehicle. It's not a thing. Yeah. You know, so, like, yeah. in, in that respect, I don't even follow brands. I follow people who are the manipulators of mm -hmm. brands. <laughs> the, yeah. the, marketing, the marketing managers that come in and manage to start this, this moment of delusion all over again until, until somebody else comes and, you know, either fires him or he chooses to move on. Well, and it's that, you, look, you know, my experience, it's down to what we were talking about earlier. It's those people that are both competent and passionate. Yeah. Who work. And I, I always say, like, the ideal clients from my company and what I do is somebody who's... Uh, mildly disgruntled at, at, a, <laughs> at a corporate job that feels creatively stifling. But it still can do a proper PPT. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not, well, they're not We've like, about PPTs before. they're not like, uh, you know, my company's called Rebel, right? And, right. and so we, we, we attract, we want to attract rebels within big corporations. It's like they're not angry enough to go leave and start their own thing. Definitely But there's not. a piece of them. Because they want to eat. Yeah, and because they're, you know, they're yeah, like, I get that. They, they live in these two worlds of like corporate life, yet wanting to do something that has meaning. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think it, you know, if you I look mean, at. They want to hijack the ship, yes. essentially. That's, that's their, that's their. But you um, look mission. at those companies, whether it's Vans or Red Bull or, you know, and it, it, there's always those kind of people mm -hmm. at those companies. There and, are. And that, um, I the best ones, you know, how? like those two, like they, they build a culture of that. But usually it's the exception. Usually it's a couple people. It's it's a couple of people, and you know, and the problem when you hijack the ship is eventually the ship still has to go to its course. And yeah, its of course, course is profit. Sure. You know, so um, so no matter, um, it, and I think the unfair thing about our society today, uh, in the post Cold War society, yeah. is that brands have too many too much power anyway. I I think. Um, you know, you know, like I remember the 60s power to the people thing. Like we, it almost seems trite now. It almost seems like delusional now, that particular idea. But going back to my concept of hive, right? I think the form takes different, you know, it might take different forms. But there, when things are off, when things are not working the way that the hive is supposed to be working, yeah. 
the hive adapts, the, 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 the roles that we need to have in that hive adapt to the circumstances, to the nature of the environment that we're in. Okay. And, um, and in that respect, I think that's what a lot of these rebels that try and hijack the ship are, are essentially doing. Okay. They're, they're playing out their roles, their, their life roles, and, um, and they play to the best of their ability in the environment that they're in. In, in my opinion right now, artists are the least empowered that they have ever been in the last 50 years. Mm. Um, and um, and whatever, whatever BS about empowering them like is, is actually taking their power away. Trends move faster. Yeah. The internet is taking their ability to earn money away from them. Yeah. Um, so all of these different things that, you know, have, are, are, really, are, are really kind of like, you know, they're, 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 they're cutting both ways. Mm -hmm. And um, and so the artists have been kind of you know whittled down to a, a, I would say a servant, mm -hmm. um, and and that's one of the reasons why I think I wanted to step a little bit more to the backstage and see just like the brand managers or whatever like how can I how can I create a different ship how can I make a different ship I don't I don't want to be this I don't want to be this helpless yeah. as an artist um, I want to. I want to have some influence on this world. So that's a, um, there's a lot of setbacks mm -hmm. in that pursuit. Right? Yeah. Like it, yeah. Um, What's life without challenge? You would just be a blubber of like consumption. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> You'd be Java the hunt. <laughs> hunt. The hunt. Hunt. <laughs> um, so when you have those, like what, what pushes you through? Sometimes it's very difficult, but a lot of times it's my friends and partners. Um, you know, like you cannot, I cannot, cannot, cannot say that even the person who feels like he has the least amount of community has community. Um, we can, we have a weird way of building communities in the most strangest places like when the internet first started people built communities there yeah. and where you couldn't see someone yeah, touch yeah. them or even smell them you know <laughs> we built a community out of that and um there is just go back to your community find your community and a lot of times that community is not necessarily everybody who shares the same beliefs as you sure. sometimes it's just people who love you yeah. right so like you go back to your family go back to your community um, one of the things, sorry, I'm, I'm tearing up a little bit because I'm thinking about my friend. He had a huge community, but he didn't read it. But the, the day that he passed, or actually just 24 hours before he passed, I was, we were all reaching out to him and he was pushing all of us away. Wow. And that was, um, but we didn't know he was pushing us away. Right, we didn't, sure. we didn't have the intrinsic sense in us that things were not good. Like we were like, Hey, you want to meet up? Hey, blah, 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 blah. I think we, we did have a sense of something or else we wouldn't be texting him or, or yeah, writing yeah, to him yeah, yeah. and he was giving us a lot of excuses yeah. um like oh i have a meeting i have this i have this and i cannot stop thinking to myself if at that moment where he said okay you know what i'm just going to open the window i'm not even going to open the door i'm not going to let you in i'm going to tell you all of my fears and all of my hopes and all of my aspirations but i'm just going to say hi yeah. let's have a coffee let's have a let's have a tea a lot of times everything time I've had a really really difficult time in life it's my it's been my community that has helped me through every time I've had like a moment where I felt like oh shit this is I'm getting really really 
I'm a sensitive person as most artists are, um, where it's really difficult. It's it, sometimes it just took a phone call or it, it took somebody sending a dog photo. Like, I know it sounds really stupid, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like, you know, no, a friend sending their chihuahua snoring on my phone. It's like, oh, check this out. Like, you know, ah, it's so stupid. Ah, I can't believe I bought a chihuahua. I'm such like a Beverly Hills bitch and I'm just living. Like, you know, you get like conversation that has absolutely nothing to do right. with whatever existential crisis I'm going through at the time. And that pulls me out. Well, I think we, we totally, we have these patterns yeah. that we fall into and we need. And sometimes it's the, you know, these unexpected things that snap us out. Yeah. And it, it, it give you something really small. Um, about depression a few years ago, because we, we've dealt with a lot of artist depression stories, unfortunately, in the last yeah. year. Because um, I've been dealing with it myself as well, um, because we went through a lot of like you know personal loss in the last few years, yeah. uh, which I don't feel comfortable with talking about, obviously. But um, one of the things that they said that we have to be aware of is this thing called the thought spiral. Um, Thought spirals are basically um, what has what happens is that you get into a negative spiral, and it can start very simply. Like maybe I'm having my glass of wine, and there's only one drop left, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe I finished that whole glass of wine. Right. And then suddenly they're like, I'm an alcoholic, and right. then that goes spirals into like, you know, that's destroying my life. Oh no, but I've only had five glasses of wine this all week, but it doesn't mean that. In fact, that I even have to think about that is like a negative thing. Why am right. I doing this? Blah 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 blah. And then that spirals down into progressively more and more and more negative things that just kind of tack on until it, the weight of it just pulls you down like a whirlpool. But what's funny about whirlpools, about spirals, about anything, it just takes one thing to divert that thought away. It just takes one little thing. And um, you know what happened with Lincoln Park this year? Because um, they're such great guys and, you know, you know they're... That's so crazy that you had worked with them. Well, I just, I just saw them at the front desk, got yeah, them some sure. water and coffee, yeah. you know, in t like 2001 of all things. Yeah. Right. So, um, but, but you can tell they're cool dudes because I mean, we had a lot of people, I'm not name names walk through, like obviously at the firm, there was a lot of people walk through and they were the only people who were nice and try to ask you for your name, but not to hit on you. And right and actually waited patiently while Rob kept them waiting for three hours sometimes. Like, you know, it was just like, I felt really bad for the guy sometimes. Okay. Like, I'm not just saying, Rob, you didn't do that. I'm your video. <laughs> um, but no, it was half an hour, half an hour, not three hours. I'm exaggerating. But like, but at the entire time, there was no hissy fits or anything. And, yeah. and they were polite and kind and cool guys. But at the same time, um, a lot of people who have depression, um, a lot of people who are in the thought spiral, the thought spiral kind of starts and then it goes into this self-negativity and this self-negativity of I don't want to burden the world anymore. Yeah. That At that point, that's when it starts getting really dangerous. Sure. And I think for people who, it, you know, feelings of inadequacy can happen to the most adequate people. Of course. Um, and Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a rational... It's not a rational thought. Yeah. But to break an irrational thought is to just have one little tiny drop of positivity in all of that yeah. it'd be like you're so cool let's have a conversation about my dog uh -huh. like that can totally. that yeah, can, can just a... pull you completely and automatically out of that yeah. and once you're out you're out yeah. what, what a lot of people don't realize about people in depression when in depressed situations is they can very easily get into the thought, thought spiral but they can also very easily be pulled out yeah. but the thing about pulling people out of the thought spiral in my opinion from what's happened to me my mother was depressed as well my friends 
being in the arts, you see a lot of people who are depressed. Of course. Is to not to remind them that they're in the thought spiral. Yeah, yeah, to sure. say that you are depressed and you are broken, you have a mental disease, is wrong. Yeah. First off, they are not diseased. Their minds work so cool. They Absolutely. can think about so many things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine that passed away was one of the most talented people I ever met. So, uh, sorry. It's okay. So a lot of times these people are actually extra special, yeah. right? But they have a very hard time seeing themselves as that. And um, I think with, with personal mental diseases, when you call it a disease, right. that only puts them further into the thought spiral. When you tell them that they are wrong, it only puts them further into the thought spiral. Totally. It is only because they think like this that they have all of this brilliant talent. But it doesn't mean it, it could destroy them, but it can also put things on this earth that nobody has ever seen. That's beautiful. So instead of saying you're diseased, just say, hey, dude, get out of the spiral. <laughs> you are who you are, and right. it's great. You know, let's, you use this for good, and you can use this to hurt yourself. Yeah. Let's, let's change the direction. Let's change the path and use it for good. Yeah. You are, there's nothing wrong with you. It's about. Um, Okay, I have to get to a, a lightning round. Yeah, no, we have to like let's change the topic, make it happy. All right, let's make it happy. Let's change the let's change the spiral. We'll change. Yeah. We'll get out of our our spiral. Thank you for yeah. sharing that, though. I I do appreciate. Yeah, it. no, I mean, I I didn't know that my friend was gonna yeah. leave like that, and at the yeah. same time, I didn't know I was gonna be so affected when it did happen. And one of the worst things about it is I didn't know the publicity I was gonna come after, yeah. um, and how much it. In my opinion, um, was bullshit. <laughs> um, I I think I think the way the community treats suicide is also not good. Um, yeah, so I I think it it makes them the perpetrator of evil as opposed to just saying that, oops, the direction didn't go very well today. You know, yeah. like maybe we should try and you know cut the road a different path, yeah. and and making people feel like, well, I'm diseased. You know, I'm not going to belong to this yeah. society anyway. I have a problem. I don't belong here. Right. Like, as opposed to saying you do belong here, what you're thinking is not great, but we love your brilliant mind. Sure. And let's move on and, you know, create something wonderful. Yeah. Like, and I, I think that should have been the, it should have been the conversation. But instead, people call them depressed, call them dark, yeah. call them suicidal, call them all sorts of things. They, they, they lavish in the, in the dreariness of it all yeah. they try and view all of their artwork in that way um and that's inappropriate i think um to view everything as like just a spiral toward death of someone who was broken is just one of the biggest disservices we can possibly do for people absolutely okay on another note yeah what's your favorite city to travel to I, I half live in Berlin these days. Okay. So it's kind of good. Nice. Um, but if I really had to pick whatever has a beach, an island, you're, no you're rain. The second, uh, <laughs> second person I've interviewed in China who said Berlin. Berlin is kind of like a mecca for a year somehow. Yeah. 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 yeah we're, 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 we totally buy into the Berlin legend. I, I just went this summer for the first time. It's How amazing. was it? Oh, it was great. Brilliant. And, and cheap, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And it, and it was warm at the time. Not, not so much now. No, no, I mean, winters suck in Berlin. That's why yeah. you should have two locations. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where is the, what's the second one? 
the warm I don't know, somewhere in Thailand probably oh, is nice. always, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like some Kol Sum, Sum, yeah. Sum, Sumui, Sumui, <laughs> probably, whatever it's called, yeah. Okay. Tell <laughs> me one decision that changed your life forever. Coming here. Um, actually... Yeah, the worst decisions were the best. Okay. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it totally does. Uh, <laughs> like, it just took a little bit longer to realize the goodness. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest decision I made was coming back to China when I could have stayed in L.A. and I don't turn into, like, a probably by now I would be, like, a second-rate shitty agent pushing some bad TV deal it's or something. It's quite a job. I know, it's amazing. Pays well. Yeah, sure enough. What is uh, the thing you miss most about L.A.? <laughs> well, the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I miss... I, I Yeah, the weather was like a big, big factor. That's yeah. the fact that you never really have to have a... I think the most you ever have is like a pullover in L.A., pretty totally. much. Yeah. Like you're probably freezing to death right now. I'm all right. Okay. <laughs> you're like, I'm tough. Yeah. Um, I grew up in San Francisco, so this reminds me of like... This is a San Francisco winter. It's about yeah. like this, maybe even a bit wetter. Yeah, wetter for sure. Yeah. Um, what, um, complete the sentence for yourself. I don't have talent. I have blank. Observation. It's good. So if I worked for you, what's the management company called? Uh, it's Fake Music Media, generally. Okay. <laughs> it's, nice. Everything's under that. <laughs> I like that. Um, if I worked for fake music media, let's say. Yeah. What's something I would hear you say over and over? Fucking Philip. <laughs> That's my partner. <laughs> 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 Probably over and over. I love you, Philip. Anyway, like, nice. <laughs> no, I mean, we have like a, um, a friendly, not so friendly rivalry because we're also, we're also dating. Nice. So never, if you really want to create a, a great atmosphere to people work with. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> work with your partner so yeah um what is the best thing about uh working with your boyfriend um there's just, just sometimes you get these laughs and giggles about stuff that you're experienced experiencing at yeah. work or whatever um and the little like you know knowing stares that mm. you can trade at certain points yeah. of the day um you have a certain level of intimacy of being able to communicate non-verbally sure. um, and also enjoy things non-verbally. On the flip side of that, obviously, that also goes the other way. Yep. But um, So what's the, but yeah. what's the thing, if I was going to start a business with my wife, <laughs> Good which, luck with that. which I'm not. <laughs> Your um, wife's like, nah. What's, <laughs> She's offered to help me at, at different times in the business. And I've kind of said, like, help me by not Probably being, a good decision. Yeah, Probably just a good like, decision. we yeah. already have our thing together, and, like, let's, let's do that instead. Um, but let's say we were going to do that. What's one piece of advice you would give me about how to make that work? Compartmentalize your life. Mm. Um, I think have hours by which work should not yeah. be part of the conversation live by that no no and but that's sometimes. where where the conflict comes yeah, in yeah, but sure. we've tried okay. um 
But if, if you're going to do it, do like an hour thing. Like after six o'clock at night, this conversation will have nothing to do with work. And whoever accidentally do, does that has to pay for dinner nice. next time we go out. Yeah. Or something like that. Something where it actually sticks. Yeah. Um, and you have to do that early because we didn't. And now it's quite difficult. Yeah, sure. um, also because we work pretty much 24 hours a day. Even like, you know, like once you get your life gets too wrapped up in all of it. Um, it becomes, and I saw my parents go through this because they yeah. started a business together. So like, you know, you didn't really learn from the previous generations. Um, but, but I think if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna create a relationship, another thing is do not be too financially reliant on mm. the same sources of income. Um, it's yeah. going to hurt. Like I, I think our relationship got better when we were both not 100% reliant mm. on the same sources of income. And our relationship got worse the more reliant we were on the same projects. Sure, yeah. um, so if you can have like a certain level of separation between the finances, so for at least one of you, it's more of a hobby than it is like a full-time job, right. it's gonna help a lot. Because the number one thing that breaks up couples is finances. Yeah. And that's just gonna quadruple in power and hurt if you are both reliant on the same finances. Who would you be most excited to learn as a fan of your work? Most excited to learn. Probably Nina Simone, but she's dead. Just because I, I love crazy ladies like her. Yeah. Yeah. I she's love that. I, lo I, love, I love her level of crazy. People like her voice. People like her piano playing. I love her crazy. Yeah. Um, because it was it completely opened all the doors and start spurting nonsense because this is what I feel kind of crazy no filter crazy yeah. and I feel very few people in who are, who are public figures have that level of like I don't give a fuck mm -hmm. and, so, and most of the people who do are kind of just douchebags <laughs> so it's like just to have somebody who is also sure. incredibly intelligent and can just say such I mean I was you know, also just, I mean, she's so fucking talented. It's unbelievable. It's another next level yeah. talented. Yeah. Like, I could never be that level of talented, you know. That's a good one. What, uh, is there a book that's had the biggest impact on you? <laughs> I hate to say this, but Pop Economics, Malcolm Gladwell, Tipping Point. Okay. Um, it has had a lot of, and, and The Tao of Pooh. Uh -huh. The Tao of Winnie the Pooh. I don't yeah, know if you ever read that. Yeah, Did you read The Tao of Pooh? Yeah. Yeah, you read? Okay, yeah, yeah. all right. You read The Tao of Pooh. It's so <laughs> relevant. You know, it's so relevant. I like, you know, who are you? Yeah. Who are you? Like, are you Winnie the Pooh? Are you Elf? Oh. oh. Shit, it's been so long now. I know that's okay. You have to read it again. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, but for Tao of Pooh, um, because I, I was... And, we, and to be fair, like, I'm always a little bit of everybody. You're a little bit... Yeah, it's a combination. Yeah. So you're a little bit Winnie the Pooh. Uh, you're a little bit it's, of Tigger. Yeah. <laughs> you're a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that... that, that more ER than I wanted. Or everything is bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, everything is shit. I'm not that. But, well, you know, sometimes <laughs> okay. I am, right? But, yeah. Um, what movie have you seen the most in your life? Uh, the Shining. Probably. Wow. Yeah. Over and over and over, it's a lot and over of again. Dark days. No, I mean I love it because it's like, an amazing movie. I, I I watch it for the technical stuff. Yeah. I just like I like watch certain scenes over and over again just to get pacing and timing and stuff like that. Very confused.
You've had your whole fucking life to think things over. What good's a few minutes more gonna do you now? Stay away from me. Please! Don't hurt me. I'm not gonna hurt you. Stay away from me! Wendy? Stay away! Darling, light of my life. I'm not gonna hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash you. Favorite DJ. Favorite DJ. Ooh. Uh, I just want to say Mike Seminetti. Okay. Uh, from Italians Do It Better. Okay. Uh, just because I've had the best interactions with him because we do a lot of DJ promotions, so yeah. I always have to hang out with people. Yeah. Um, not to say that all of the other DJs are bad. They're no, all cool guys. It. Yeah. But it just, it's an unfair question. It's an unfair question, person. but I, I really like hanging out with For Mike sure. Seminetti, and also I thought he put together a pretty amazing set and nice. also because it was just some good nights you know um so i want to say i want to say right now mike seminetti but if uh but there's quite a lot of you guys a lot of guys i want to give a shout out to but actually i i wouldn't say favorite you know like i've had really amazing djs where i've had really good nights like listening to them and then yeah. some other times where yeah, it wasn't sure. so great yeah. so i think like um djs are like they're creating the rapper around the moment right. you know so like it's it's uh so it's more about the moments so yeah, like absolutely. i could probably name you moments better than djs yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> what comes to mind god so many um sunrise at melt festival in 2015 we were listening and then suddenly toto came on and i generally hate toto but it was like the moment where i just love toto <laughs> and <laughs> And I was just like, Africa, Africa, <laughs> just screaming at the top of my lungs while the sun was rising. And It's a great song. Yeah, and there was all these beautiful people of all different races and colors just dancing around to Toto <laughs> and in this sandy kind of faux beach. And it wasn't even that great a beach, but we were all just smiling like, and 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 that was like peace for humanity. Woo. Um, that was a good moment. Another yeah. good moment was... Um, so wait, who was the DJ that night? You know, uh, there who, was a, who played Toto. There was this DJ. Actually, he was he made a compilation at the time, yeah. and it was called Too Slow to Disco. Oh, cool. Yeah, you should check it out. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's basically all the seventies and eighties, like really kind of like Great. yeah, kind of like Africa. Like, yeah. like, well, there was, I mean, they had Michael Jackson back yeah, then. Like, yeah. there was all sorts of, like, cheesy tunes, but it was put together just the right way. Um, I wouldn't say cheesy. Maybe people love it. No, good tunes. Yeah. Like, but from particular kind yeah, of yeah, music. I, I played it here once when I was DJing, and they told me to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the right <laughs> moment. It wasn't the right sound. That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, no, That's it was my awesome. cousin. He was, like, actually really polite about it. He was like, I think you should stop. <laughs> I love you, but you need to stop. <laughs> like... And I was like, okay, no, Toto doesn't work right now. But, That's you know, funny. like, trying to recreate the moment doesn't work sometimes. Yeah. No, it totally doesn't. Um, another really great moment. Oh, shit, there's so many. Um, One more. <laughs> my first rave, 16 yeah. years old, listening to trance music before the DJ was. Nice. <laughs> but I was like, was this music here? is the best. No, it was, was like a in the, desert. In in like, no, it was, no, it was in a basement in, in Houston, Texas. Oh, wow. 
it was like when trans would start the getting into like rave culture. Actually, yeah, because that's where all the all the ecstasy was being manufactured. Actually, is that right? Yeah, because a Houston medical school that was who invented. I had no idea. Yeah, exactly. There you didn't know. Wow. But <laughs> you we didn't learned. know. Probably didn't know. You, you taught me something. Helen. It was like fucking Fifth Ward, a basement in Fifth Ward. Wow. And like we came out, and there was some guy gang violence, but we were chill because we were all <laughs> like happy. Yeah. Um, God. That's so funny. No, there was like God. There's really really great moments. There's so many. If, if you talk about specific moments where it was like a bit life-changing, that was one, that was yeah. one. Um, what about you? Which? What's the question? Best, best DJ moment. Oh, best DJ moment? Please don't tell me gave a get out or I have to enter <laughs> like, <laughs> this interview right now. That is not <laughs> Walk one out of my favorite moments, no. <laughs> um, there have been a lot. You know, I, I had the pleasure of booking Jazzy Jeff a bunch of times. Jazzy Jeff, all right. He's, he's, he's my favorite DJ. Um, among many, but he's he stands out. Yeah. Um, seeing, let's see, I probably told this story, but uh, seeing, I booked Ali Shaheed Muhammad from Tribe Called Quest to play a party. You're a hip hop guy, right? Uh, not exclusively, but yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not exclusively, um, but I'll name that. No, no, I'll, yeah, but uh, but I didn't know that he was a great DJ. I just knew he was a guy from Tribe Called Quest. Really? Okay. Cool. And he was incredible. That I mean, Tribe Called Quest is incredible. Yeah, there. definitely. But that was like a surprise thing. Yeah. Um, Danny Tanaglia in uh, uh, Miami during yeah. Winter Music Conference. Okay, cool. Um, oh, we used to do a boat party with Pete Tong. Pete Tong. During WMC. Okay, cool. And, right. uh, that, and then, so that night, like, he premiered. Uh, one more time, Daft mm-hmm. Punk. Mm-hmm. It was our first time that most anyone had ever heard that song. Well, in the in the states, at least, probably, right? It was like I forget, but I think it like broke at WMC. Really? Okay. Wow. Yeah, it could be slightly off on that, but it was really early in that song. That's always and become like kind of like part of pop culture history. Oh, now. totally. Like, yeah. So like, and we're on a boat, cruising the the Biscayne Bay. Uh. And uh, that was pretty amazing. But but if you if you ever listen decide to listen to techno music, I have to take you yeah. to some techno parties. So probably not a techno guy because hip hop guys and techno guys are not the same kind of group. Um, you know, it's not my thing. I appreciate it, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm definitely like, but it's it's not my thing. Yeah, it's not the same. It's not the same beat structure as definitely but, was like. No, and like no. my, uh, you know, I like like I like it a little. I like drum and bass a little. Yeah. I like. Um, kind of early 2000s house a lot mm-hmm. yeah um so you yeah. would have liked the china music scene at the time really? there was a lot of early 2000s house yeah um like stardust like that kind of thing that was sort of my era of house music yeah. and i still listen today but um but that's kind of what i most identify with did you used to go to um, i know san francisco used to have a lot of like huge, kind of huge warehouse parties huge house scene, yeah i went um, i mean i was in the i was early because i left in 89 yeah so, but yeah, in the 80s when it was like Doc Martin before he moved to L.A. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, every weekend. Every weekend. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was kind of, I feel like the dance scene was like heavily like influenced by. Totally. By, by, by I guess, the San Francisco yeah. scene and, yeah. and, and Chicago, of course, also as well. But, yeah. Well, I guess well, it's like, actually didn't influence the U.S., they influenced Europe more, I For guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Fun.
Thank you. And now it's getting cold, so probably get we'll, out of here uh, before we die. Get inside. Yeah. Can you, um, so first of all, how does everybody find you? How do, how do they find me? Yeah. Um, they can check out my band Nova Heart, um, but um, how do they find me? Um, they find me in Beijing. Just come to Beijing. Okay. Yeah, just why not? Like, That's easy. Well, I, you know what? It's it I I it's not really that totalitarian, really. It's after I like all. It here. Like, yeah. I, I love it here. I um, mean, what what is the? I should have asked you this earlier, but um, I know you you lived in the states and you have a lot of friends. I'm sure still in the states. What yeah, is, they're getting older. They what babies. is the biggest misconception that people have about China that you correct for them? I don't even try and correct people anymore. Okay. Um, I think it's so hard to paint a picture of what this is or what anything is when yeah. you live in the U.S. Yeah. Because even, you know, I'm just happy if Americans have a good view of Americans. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't Barely. expect them to have, like, if they have, like, a little, if you have more perspective, like if, if people in California just stop hating on people in the South and people in the South just ha stop hating on liberals or whatever. Sure. Like, you know, yeah. um, I'm already happy. But okay. if, if they want to see the world, I think the biggest misconception is that is that people don't care, is yeah. that people are drones, that people are lemmings or whatever, yeah. um, that what you see on the TV is the majority of what's here, and actually it's not even, it's less than 1%. Right. Um, but that's that's true for most of the world. Sure. Um, I can't, I just can't explain to people what it is. I think the best thing to do is just to pack up your bags and do what Europeans do, which is leave your country for a year. Yeah, I love that idea. Uh, that's probably the best you can do. And then you can get in. You don't even need me to tell you. you know? That's great. Yeah, that was Alan Fung on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you leave us a comment on Twitter, Facebook. Watch the YouTube videos. Leave a review on iTunes. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. <laughs>